I like that chorus so much. Well, tonight we're going to go to Revelation chapter 7. Last week, or week before last, we started on the Great Tribulation in Revelation chapter 6. And as you know, what I do with each chapter is tonight we're just going to look at what all the symbolism is all about. And then the following week, next week, next Wednesday night, the Lord willing, I'll just preach through the message. Um, as I was explaining to somebody earlier, it's important to understand the symbolism to be able to be able to accurately interpret and apply the revelation and enjoy the book for why it's been given to us. Don't ever forget that God has promised a blessing to all those that read it, study it, apply it. And so tonight, the chapter is, is, is like a scrim. And I don't know if you're familiar with what a scrim is. I'm certainly not um, the best qualified to talk about this. Pastor Mark would be. But I remember the first time I ever saw a scrim was in a large church that I was preaching in. And basically what a scrim is, is, uh, is and I'm really simplifying this. Mark will probably be embarrassed the way I'm going to explain it. But basically what a scrim is, is a very large sheet of cheesecloth. And when the light shines in front of it, you're laughing. Becky's embarrassed with me now, but uh, again, I'm not an artist. I'm a preacher. <laughs> so you, when you put the light in front of the scrim, you can't see what's going on behind the scrim. But when you shut the lights off behind the, in front of the scrim and you turn the lights on behind, you can see clearly what's going on through the scrim. And that to me is a really good picture to understand Revelation chapter 6 and 7. Because the way it starts out is you go, oh, this is a different place in time. No, it's the same time, and I'll show you that as we get to it. But it's what's happening in heaven. That's the reason I've entitled the message tonight, The View from Heaven. And I'd kind of like you to think like this because you're going to be seeing what's taking place in heaven. You remember the story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe and how that Lucy, you know, went into the wardrobe and she thought how nice it smelled and all the coats and she kept walking and there was another row of coats and she kept pushing through. There was another row of coats until she finally wondered, this must be an enormous wardrobe, thought Lucy. And then she noticed there was something crunching under her feet and she was rubbing her face not against coats but against tree limbs. And a moment later she was standing in the middle of a wood at nighttime with snow under her feet and snowflakes falling through the air until she came to a lamppost. The world of Narnia in C.S. Lewis's writings lay just on the other side of the wardrobe. And that's the reason when you see the, the opening shots or the teaser shots you see them coming up to the wardrobe and then the wardrobe opening up I think Lewis this is just my thought I think Lewis must have had this imagery from the book of Revelation in mind when he wrote that because you're going from that horrific scene that we looked at last week or two weeks ago in Revelation 6 to now you're in heaven so I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me tonight and because what's happening front stage is very gritty. What's happening front stage is very bloody. What's happening front stage 
is suddenly those persecuted Christians like at Smyrna and Sardis, Domitian has demanded that everyone worship him as Lord. And those early Christians says, we will not do that. We will not say Jesus is in Lord and Caesar is Lord. And so they willingly gave their lives and all that bloody persecution. But now what you're about to see is the lights dim on the front stage. And maybe Einstein was onto something. There is another parallel universe, but it's not a duplicate of this universe. It's the kingdom of heaven. And so you see the lights come up backstage. And then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to the four angels who had been given power to harm land and say, Wait! Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the forehead of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000. That's 12 times 12 times 1,000. It's multiples of the people of God times the fullness. That, that, remember, I told you, these numbers are all symbolic. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. From Judah, 12,000. From Reuben, 12,000. From Gad, 12,000. From Asher, 12,000. From Naphtali, 12,000. From Manasseh, 12,000. From Simeon, 12,000. From Levi, 12,000. From Issachar, 12,000. From Zebulun, 12,000. From Joseph, 12,000. From Benjamin, 12,000. And after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to God and worshipped God, and they sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving. Honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. And then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd and He will lead them to springs of life-giving water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Lord, we thank you for this final song. We thank you, Lord, as we look at these symbols tonight. They have not only brought strength and hope and comfort to all of those who have understood them, Lord, but tonight they will be a source of great strength and great comfort to us not only for us, but for our children and our grandchildren. And Jesus, I ask you in the next few minutes, make us like the Bereans, wise students of the Word of the Lord. For it's in your holy name I pray. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight.
Well, what's with the four angels? That's what I want to kind of walk you through quickly tonight. The four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, first of all, represents God is in control. That's what that symbolism is all about. That God is in control of everything that is happening. God wants His people to know who are suffering. He wants His people to know who go through the Great Tribulation, and we talked about that last week as well. He wants them to know that He's in control. The four corners of the earth are just representative of God's sovereignty, that God is sovereign over all. And the four winds represent the entire world. So the four angels, God is in control. The four corners represents God's sovereignty. And the four winds, the entire world. And what God is showing us here is that God is limiting evil. He's holding back evil that's taking place even in our world today. And will take place until that time of judgment and tribulation comes. It's kind of reminiscent not only of what you see in the book of Ezekiel, but if, also, if those of you have read the book of Ezekiel, but it's also reminiscent of what you see in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 5, where the angel told the prophet, These are the four spirits of heaven who stand before the Lord of all the earth, and they're going out to do His work. God is limiting the power of evil. You and I don't really recognize, because we're not privy to seeing what is happening, but God has not only angelic spirits that are working to hold back the powers of evil in this world, where God sovereignly speaks. There are many times, especially in the Old Testament, that you read about the spirits of God before the Lord that He sends out. They're angelic spirits. You'll read about it in the Revelation especially, and it's why I, that we tell you all, I tell you all the time through this that Reading Genesis is important, but also reading and having some familiarity with the prophets is as important as well. But when the church is taken out of here, the church is the salt and the light of this earth. The church and its ministry, when the church is raptured out of here, there will be evil that comes upon this earth like none we've never seen before. There will be the forces of evil unleashed. There are people now who really, really, really wish nothing but harm upon the church. There are people now, as I've just kind of done research for this message, who are trying to foment fear in our nation that the church, that the evangelical church is to be more feared than the terrorist, fundamentalistic, Islamic Muslims who are chopping people's heads off and blowing up cities and blowing up hospitals and synagogues and churches and even their own mosques. These are deliberate lies that I believe are just being perpetrated by the spirit of evil at work in our world. And where the gospel is not preached and where churches compromise on the integrity of the word of the Lord, then evil is allowed to flourish. Where you have a church or churches in a community preaching and Christians practicing, then they become the salt and the light of the earth and people look at your life and they see your life. They see how you live your life, that it's different, your marriage, your, your children. But they also have the benefit of your ministry and your service to them as we'll see as we go through this chapter. But when the church is taken out of here, then there will be this time where God is going to place a limit upon the world until there are a certain number of people that are marked. It's important to understand then that these winds that are not just winds as the breeze that blows across Detroit often, but these winds are 
the spirits of God or angelic spirits of God, they either bring blessing or they bring adversity into our life. They either bring blessing or adversity into our life. There are unseen spirits at work tonight in this church and in this sanctuary. There are unseen spirits at work in your life. The book of Hebrews tells us about these spirits. They're called angels. We're not to focus upon them. We're not really supposed to be trying to talk to them. It's very rare. You see instances in the Bible where they do talk and manifest themselves to human beings, but those are for much bigger deals than what you and I normally deal with in the course of our life. None of us will ever bear the Christ child again. Christ was born of Mary. Not many of us are going to be called to lead a nation through the Red Sea. There aren't many of us that God is going to to call or to appear to give a son like Samuel, like he did to uh, Samuel's parents. And so what that happens, though, that is important to understand, because we typically don't even think about angels unless it's Christmas time and Easter time, but they're always at work. And the book of Hebrews tells us that these angel, angelic spirits are at work in order to bring blessing and to help the people of God behind the scenes. You just give God thanks that they're there. It's like you tell your children that the guardian angels are watching over them. Jesus even makes reference to that. However, it's important to also know that these angels can bring adversity to people who rebel against the Lord. These angels can make your life very difficult if you choose to rebel against the Lord. I often tease you and tease Becky by saying, I fear God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and his little girl named Becky. I remember when Becky and I were dating, we were at Nettie Parham's home, and we were sitting there in her living room, and Becky was doing a children's crusade for a church that was there, and I had just drove in from where I had been speaking, and Nettie had invited several pastors to her home because she wanted them to meet me, and and uh, she was encouraged them to, to have me uh, to come speak at their churches when I was getting started. And that night with all those pastors and Nettie and her husband Joe sitting in the living room, it was suddenly like somebody turned down the volume in the living room. I could hear everybody talking. I didn't have its audible voice, but suddenly there was this incredible glow around Becky and I heard deep and strong within my spirit, this is my daughter, treat her well. I'll tell you, from that moment on, I have been afraid to lift my hand against Becky. The one time that I didn't lift my hand against her, but I dumped her drawer out on the floor, I live to regret that one as well. Those of you who don't know that story, that's for another time. Those of you that do, you know what I'm talking about. You see, angels are at work in our life. They bring blessing or they bring adversity. There was something about that moment that taught me not something that I hadn't failed to learn. My dad treated my mom with the greatest respect ever. But what I learned that night was that God was watching over this little girl named Becky that would one day become my wife. You need to understand tonight as you go through this passage, this is not just about end time. The light is turned down on the front stage of whatever you're going through in life. The lights have come up backstage and we're getting a glimpse into heaven. There are heavenly beings that surround us and as we follow God, they bring blessings into our life. If we fail to follow God, they can bring adversity into our lives. Kind of like Balaam's donkey did when he was trying to go the wrong way and the angel stood in front. Remember that story in the Bible? That's not in my notes, so I need to get back because you got a lot of notes to fill out here tonight. Number two, 
the seal. What's the deal with the seal? Because we've been seeing the seals broken from the scrolls, and now all of a sudden there's a seal placed upon the people. Well, the seal is the mark of God's ownership. Remember, we talked about what the seals meant, so I won't go through a lot of time with that, but the seals were meant to authenticate. There were typically seven seals put upon a scroll, but now these people, these, these four spirits, the winds are being held back, because when these winds begin to blow, they're going to bring adversity and judgment like have never happened before. But God says, hold them back. Now, uh, it's important, as I get ready to tell you this, why God is sealing you. It's a mark of His ownership in your life. We need the wind. When the wind blows like it should, it carries away pollution. When the wind blows like it should, it brings us gentle rains. When the wind blows like it should, it's refreshing to us. If the winds were stopped to stop blowing, then all of a sudden all the pollutants in our atmosphere would probably fall right to the ground and we would all need gas masks or we would choke to death. If the winds stopped blowing and the cloud systems start moving, there would be parts of the world that flooded and there would be parts of the world that would be turned into a parched desert like the Sahara. The winds are important. So just like we know the winds can bring us blessing or the winds can bring us adversity, that's what you're seeing here. But this is about to be a time of adversity. But God says, there's a certain group of people I don't want to harm. Again, this goes back to Ezekiel. You'll see where Again, if you've read the book of Ezekiel, and if we preach Ezekiel, we'll never get through Revelation because Ezekiel is a long book. But God said to the angel, walk through the streets of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of all who weep and sigh because of the detestable sins being committed in their city. He also goes on in that very same passage and says that those who are committing evil and atrocity and sinning to destroy... So I think what's important that we see here and take careful note of is that God is marking these people. God not only is in control, but God knows the future and God knows the kind of decisions that people are going to make. My question tonight is, as we look at this, how many of us weep and we sigh over the condition of our world? It's really easy to criticize. It's really easy to, to get mad and to rant and to talk about how think, bad things are, but how many of us weep? How many grandparents weep by their bedsides or get up in the mornings and pray and intercede for their lost grandchildren and their lost family members? How many times do we find ourselves saying, it's time for corporate prayer and there's something that's really, really valuable and important about us gathering together for prayer but we think, I'm too tired, or I don't want to go, or it's not really important that I'm there. But there is something important about our gathering to pray together and to seek God together. The prophet Joel would say, when you see these kinds of things happening, call for the church, gather between the porch and the altars and seek. God answers prayer. But one of the things that we want to pray for is revival and renewal in our community. I think it's important to notice in this seal that this angel is coming from the east. And coming from the east in the Bible is all... In, now, I know a couple of you have walked in since I've started speaking tonight. We're just going over what the symbols mean. Next week we'll preach through the passage. But coming from the east is always a sign of grace, particularly in the face of evil. What I think you see happening right here when you read this with me just a few moments ago in Revelation chapter 7, you see God manifesting grace right in the hell holes of the devil. 
You see God manifesting grace right in the face of the devil. You see what God is saying, my will is going to be done even during this time of great tribulation and judgment that is coming upon the earth. Just to kind of give you an idea, look at Genesis 2.8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden where? In the east. And there he placed the man he had made. Suddenly the glory of the God of Israel appeared from where? The east. The sound of his coming was like the roar of rushing waters and the whole landscape shone with his glory. The vision was just like the others I had seen first by the Keba River and then when he came to destroy Jerusalem, I fell face down on the ground and the glory of the Lord came into the temple through the what? The East Gateway. How many of you that are you're a little older, you can remember songs about the Eastern Gate? Do any of you remember? Sure you do. The Eastern Gate, because it was there that the Messiah was supposed to come through. And we'll deal with that a little later on in the book. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about this time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking about him. So what you see here, I believe this is just a little word picture. I think it's a bit of humor right here in the book of Revelation. If you understand how these kinds of, and we went over all of this in the very first messages, how prophetic literature was written, it's almost like poking the bear. You ever heard that phrase before, don't poke the bear? It's almost like he's, God is just poking the devil and saying, look, you think you've got everything about I'm about to send an angel from the east right in your face because, as we will see later in this book, there will be an army of over two million coming from the east in a great ferocious end-time battle. So we'll look at that more a little later on. Seals, biblically, were also protection from physical harm. Seals, biblically, were protection from physical harm. There are going to be some that are not physically harmed and there are others that are going to give their life. This is not a guarantee that people who come to know Christ during the tribulation will not physically suffer and die. I don't know if any of you read uh, Tim LaHaye and Jerry... Excuse me? I, I can't hear you. Speak up. Left behind. Left behind. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you, any of you read those novels or not, but he does a great job, I think, right here, uh, especially in his very first book of beginning to illustrate and then running through. There are many that are going to give their lives, but there are going to be some that are going to be protected. Now, remember, because if you fear physical harm, you've got your eyes front stage and not backstage. Remember the scrim. You've got to keep that in mind because that's what both these New Testament saints, these people who were suffering, they would have got this. They would have understood much easier than you and I because we live in a land of such affluence and Time Magazine has carried so many articles and, and, and other news magazines about the prosperity and the health and wealth gospel. And I believe God wants us to prosper. I believe that God wants us to be whole. But there have been so many popular best-selling books that are a mile wide and a millimeter thick about prosperity and blessing that have sold and made people a lot of money but never deal with the awful fact of suffering. And when that time comes and the front stage lights are lit up and people don't know how to look behind the scrim and to see what's going on in heaven, what does this one temporary short life matter when it comes to eternity? And that's what these people were doing. They were saying when they refused to bow before Domitian, they were refusing 
to value and to love their temporary earthly existence more than they loved eternity with Christ in heaven. And so you've got to keep that picture, that, that cheesecloth illustration in mind here. It was also protection from demonic spirits. It was also protection for demonic spirits. You're going to see that taking place in the book of Revelation as we go on. The ceiling was a protection for demonic spirits. You remember how when the gospel was preached in Philippi, there was this little slave girl that made her parents, uh, made her owners a lot of money predicting the future. Evidently, she had some success at that. But when Paul prayed for her and she was delivered from that evil spirit, she was set free completely instantaneously. She no longer could do what she did under the influence of those demonic spirits. And of course, that's why Paul was ended up put in jail and then later they had to come to apologize. Paul would not just be dismissed from jail. He says, no, y'all beat us. You put us in this jail without cause. You're going to come down here and dismiss us. What a commanding authority. Don't ever be afraid to be bold in the name of Jesus. Amen? And they come down. But in the meantime, not only is she set free, but a jailer and his entire family are set free. Remember, you were surrounded by heavenly beings that God has intended to bring blessing into your life. If you stray, God will use them to bring adversity into your life, to keep you on the path. But greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. For the life of me, I can never figure out why some people fill their minds with the garbage horror movies and devil movies about people being filled with demonic spirits and all of a sudden they're throwing priests and they're throwing people all over the place. The devil is, the devil is a defeated foe in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is, this is what's happening backstage. And what's happening backstage, God is also doing front stage. In Revelation, the seals, though, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, for all of these, protects their faith. Some will die. Some will not. All are protected from demonic spirits. But the seals protect their faith. This goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and this plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. What is he saying here? They're not, they may die from this temporary life, but friends, when we die in Christ, we are eternally alive with Jesus Christ. And you can't ever let go of that truth. I just, a few minutes before the service tonight, prayed with one of the members of our congregation who just lost a family member. And we prayed together and reminded ourselves that this loved one is alive in the presence of God. It's a lonely thing. I, it's, you know, I do this often, but it, sometimes it just, you know, when I have to do too many in a row, it just, it just pulls something out of me. I stand there, I, that big gaping hole, and I watch as that casket is Lord. I stay there until they cover the grave and everybody's left and I'm typically the last one that walks away and there's this sense of loss and this sense of loneliness, especially when it's somebody that's dear to you, a friend to you or that you love and you walk away from that and I get in the car and I always remind myself, Jesus, I am lonely, but they are alive in you and they can't come to me, but one day I am going to them. 
And that's what we have. This is our faith. This is, this is why Christ died for us, that our sins would be forgiven and that we would live forevermore. And every time, as we will do this Sunday, when we take communion, it goes all the way back to this passage in Exodus 12 and verse 13. Will we remember the blood of the Lamb, the blood that was shed for us? Today I had lunch with one of my Jewish friends and as we were talking together and laughing together and talking about our faith and talking about the Scriptures, I was telling Pastor Rick just a few moments ago, I would that the members of my congregation knew the Bible the way my Jewish friend knows the Bible. And I would that we could just quote the Scripture the way that they quoted the Scripture. But we went back to this precious time of Passover and what it means for them. And we were sitting in a restaurant right next door to the Holocaust Museum in Farmington Hills where our district office is. And we're sitting right next to the Holocaust Museum. And I thought to myself, how his faith in God has been sustained despite all the evil. Friends, understand this. There is real evil in this world, but you have been sealed by the blood of the Lamb. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. You have been baptized into one spirit, into one body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is assured and guaranteed in Jesus' name. And that's not preaching. We're just looking at the symbols tonight. The sealing then enables them to respond in faith to trials and suffering. Over the years, I have worked hard to try to understand what was the source of evil. And I can't give you a good theological answer for what the source of evil is. I can't. I wish I could. I can tell you there is evil in this world. I can tell you that we were created good and holy and pure but we were given free will to be able to choose. I can tell you that what the Bible tells us about the angelic spirits, they were created good and holy and pure. They were not given free will, but evidently they're able to choose because no redemption is offered to them. And somehow or another, Satan chose to rebel against God. And where that evil came from in his heart, I have struggled and I have prayed and Sometimes I just have to stop on it because it's like the gaping hole in the ground that I was talking to you about because death is a result of that evil that came into our world and trying to understand that and the suffering and the sickness. It's, it's like sometimes people that we work with trying to help from the church that find themselves in bondage to all sorts of things that just wreck their lives. And what they sometimes don't see is that the answer, I know it sounds trite and I know it sounds simplistic, but I am neither a trite or a simplistic person and I have never been guilty of giving you trite or simplistic sayings. But I will tell you this, this one saying you can count upon, Jesus saves. We looked at it Sunday morning. God saved us. We had nothing to do with it. I don't know the source of evil. I guess we'll find that out in heaven. But this one thing I know, that this sealing by the blood, this sealing by the Spirit, this sealing of even these saints going through the tribulation, they will be saved from the powers of evil in this world, even though it's going to be a horrendous time at that time. The seal is also a spiritual mark. And I want you to hang on to this because we'll come back to this later. Because everybody, especially when we get to talking about what does 666 mean, you know? I've already been asked that question. I said, 
just stick around. We'll get there. It's like going to Discovery in Woodland 101, then to going to 201. You know, you got to take them in order. But the sealing is a spiritual mark. Let's go back to Exodus because this reflects back to the book of Exodus. Make a medallion of pure gold and engrave it like a seal with these words, Holy to the Lord. Attach the medallion with a, <clears throat> excuse me, attach the medallion with a blue cord to the front of Aaron's turban where it must remain. And Aaron must wear it on his forehead so that he may take on himself any guilt of the people of Israel when they consecrate their sacred offerings. He must always wear it on his forehead so the Lord will accept the people. The seal, holy to the Lord, on this turban that he wore on his head, it was a mark of his call to represent the people of God to God and to represent God to the people. It was an acceptance of their sacrifices for their sins and how it made atonement or at one meant made the people at one with God. But there had to be this bloody sacrifice that looked forward to Calvary. And in this act of being a high priest, the people were consecrated. Today, that's no longer necessary because of Calvary. But that sealing, that sealing without going any more into that, but just to help you understand, that sealing was important for representing God to the people and representing the people to God. Without it, he would have perished. You say, why? I don't know why. But if God says, do it, do it. Okay? I don't know why God says, give the 10%, the tithe belongs to me. He could have said, give me 90% and you keep 10%. If God says, do it, do it. I don't know why Jesus says, be baptized in water. But if God says, do it, do it. You know? It's trust. It's why do we anoint with oil? Because God says, do it. But there are other sealings in this world. In Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5, when we will get there, there's a mysterious name written on her forehead. Now, this is a world system, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. Now, Babylon was not a country, it's a world system. But there is this symbolic woman there, and she's sealed with a mark. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 16, the Antichrist will require everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or the forehead. It's symbolic, but it's about how he's going to control the world system. Some, now let's look at Isaiah 44 verse 5. Now remember the first verse I read to you about sealing, about the high priest. Some will proudly proclaim, I belong to the Lord, and others will say, I'm a descendant of Jacob. And some will write the Lord's name on their hands and take the name of Israel as their own. I think what is important right here that I want you to see from these verses is that you are sealed tonight with the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by your baptismal vows when you were baptized in water. And Pastor Rick or Pastor Corey or Pastor AJ or if I happen to be the one to do your baptism... And you confessed your faith in Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we dipped you under that water. It was your first altar call. It was more than just saying Jesus is my Savior. It was then that act where you walked in and you said, God, I want to follow you in this act of obedience. It's a sealing. There is a seal upon your life tonight. 
that not only can the angel see, but the devil can see. There is a ceiling upon your life tonight that we don't have anything written on our foreheads in the physical, but I want to tell you something. All the hordes of hell and all the host of heaven recognize what we have been sealed by, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. He dwells within us. He lives within us. He's about us. He's in us. <laughs> Friends, I am so thankful for that. When I go into the thick of the battle sometime to know that I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at the 144,000 for just a moment. Now, this is not those people who come knocking on your door, passing out literature. And I don't say that just to be funny, but, you know, they have said themselves that they're the 144th, and they've had to revise that number from time to time. But this is an interesting number to me. It represents the army of God. This 12 by 12 by 1,000. The army of God. It's a different kind of army as we're going to look at here for just a few moments tonight. The 144,000 is not, and I have to kind of address this because there are some dispensationalists that have taught that there's only going to be 144,000 people saved during the tribulation. I think that's totally, if you're going to make this number literal, you've got to make every other number in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, literal. You've, you know, you just, you can't change rules as you go along. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? So if you're going to make this number literal, you've got to make the other number literal. Now, I think this 144,000 represents as the scripture says here, I think it represents Jewish people. Now, when I say I think, you are free to disagree with me on that. This could represent a symbolic number of all the people of God coming in. But let me defend why I believe that. You know, it's not anything that I'm going to break fellowship or, or anything with anybody over. But the Bible speaks about in the book of Romans, and I'll talk about this next week, there's going to be a great end-time revival among the Jewish people. They're going to come to know the Lord. I don't know if what we're seeing today is predicate to that. <clears throat> I don't know if what we're seeing today <coughs> ha happening, <coughs> pardon me, happening in the nation of Israel is predicate to that, but I do know that there is going to be, according to the Scriptures, a great revival among the Jewish people. I know in my hometown, for instance, there is a very strong Messianic Jewish congregation made up of quite a number of, of two or three hundred Jewish people that have come to know Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. I have want, when we've been home, I've gone and worshipped with them on a Saturday just to be there and to be a part of it. It's totally different than anything that I've ever been a part of the, you know, the Jewish dances and all of that. And it's a long, you think I preach a long time. You ought to go to that church. It's a long, long service. And matter of fact, I leaned over to my niece who wanted me to go with her. And I says, I wish my whole church had to sit here and listen to this message. They would think I was the shortest preacher in the world. And she laughed. But the reason I think this is because of the listing of the Jewish tribes that are here. I think this also because of something I want to read to you from verse 10. I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, No, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Underline that phrase, the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. 
the reason that I'm going ahead to Revelation chapter 19, because this army of God is different than any other army. When you think of an army, typically you think of people with guns and tanks and planes and ships, and they're going in to fight and kill the enemy. This army is different. The Bible tells us that our weapons are not of this world, but they are heavenly weapons. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, we use God's mighty weapons. If you can go ahead and get to that verse for me, please. We use God's mighty... I, I don't think I made those blanks right there so we could kind of keep moving. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. You and I are part of an army of God in this current day. This army will be no different in its use of Scripture and of prayer and of faith and of witness than what you and I are doing today. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Paul says to the Ephesian church, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the who? The devil. That's one of those unseen spirits, evil spirits that are in this world. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, this materialistic world, and thank God for science, and thank God for technology, but this materialistic world that we live in does not want to accept this is true. But on the other hand, we've got a bunch of weirdos and fruit loops out there that everything is spiritual. You know, there's a demon behind every rock, or they're sitting around with crystals and they're chanting, trying to get in touch with spirits. Then we have a few Christians who are trying to find out what their angel's name is. There is no biblical support for any of that. You know, there's one name you need to know tonight, and that's the name of Jesus. You're never to call upon an angel. You call upon the name of Jesus. But you do need to know, for some reason, God thinks we need to know people are not our enemies. Remember I told, listen, I told you just a moment ago, I don't understand the source of evil. I can't give you a theological answer for that. But I do know I am to hate evil. And I do know I am to hate sin. And I do know I am to hate the devil. Because the devil is beyond redemption. The devil is the source of this evil in our world somehow or another. And I hate him. I don't say that, you know, trying to be dramatic but I hate him for what I see happening in the lives of people. My target is not evil spirits. I need to know what's happening in the lives of people that I love that can't seemingly break addictions, that can't seemingly overcome their temper, that can't seemingly overcome their, 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 their addiction to greed, that people who, who close their ears to the gospel. What I need to know is, is I need these weapons because human reasoning, human logic, human science, and human technology will never accomplish what only the Word of God in fasting and prayer can do. That I have to know. And that's why the Bible gave birth to what we know as science today. Because we knew then that there was a material world that was affected, but we also knew there was a spiritual world that we were not to be afraid of so we don't live superstitious lives. 
I walk under ladders just to prove that I can. I welcome black cats to cross my path just to prove that I can. We got married on Friday the 13th, and it has been a wonderful marriage. Especially since I learned not to throw the drawer on the floor anymore. We're not controlled by that stuff, our fear of the devil. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes. Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on, your self, put on salvation as your helmet. Now you get to the one offensive weapon. One offensive weapon. The Word of God. Underline that in that, out, in that verse in your outline. The only offensive weapon you've given is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's how we will battle, but it's also how that 144,000 will battle. I believe that 144,000 are Jewish evangelists that are going to be going out into the whole world. Now, before you go, you have lost your marbles, Pastor. Not quite. Not today. I asked my friend today, there's 70,000, if there's that many, he said 70,000 Jewish people in the metro Detroit area. That's a small number considering that we have, I believe, over a quarter of a million uh, Arab people in our community. But as we got to talking, he said something, not knowing what I was speaking about tonight, he said something to me. The Orthodox Jewish movement, of which he's an Orthodox Jew, he said, has been very missional. He said, we literally now have Orthodox Jewish congregations in every place upon the earth where there are Jewish people. Can you imagine what's going to take place when that end time revival happens? This 12 times 12 by 1,000, that's not beyond imagination. They've been very missional. That's just the Orthodox. These people filled with the Holy Spirit, I think will have the same spirit about them that Paul had. Because Abraham, the, was, the commandment to Abraham was that you would be a blessing to all people. Our Savior came through the Jewish line. You will be a blessing to all people. Christ has welcomed all people, not just Jewish people. Paul wrote, I have a great sense of obligation to people both in the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated, the uneducated alike. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Jesus. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Do you remember when we worked, through, worked our way through the book of Revelation? How many times we, excuse me, Genesis, how many times we talked about that the purpose of the Jewish race, God said they were going to be a blessing to the world. Now there's something about this 144,000 I want to bring out to you. Dan's absence from the 12 tribes is a warning to all of us. Dan's absence from the tribes is a warning to all of us. 
The scripture says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. I do not believe that necessarily, and this, uh, you need to listen carefully to what I'm going to say here because I know some of you have, have read this. I do not believe that necessarily the Antichrist is going to come from the tribe of Dan. That is not why he's not here in this list. Uh, that is based upon, if you remember, you remember when we went over the, how Jacob blessed his sons and he prophesied over Dan, you'll be like a serpent striking. It's not a prophecy about the Antichrist. It was a prophecy about the ferocity of the tribe of Dan. But if you remember, when you read through the, you'll notice the tribes, you'll notice Joseph and Manasseh are mentioned. Remember when Jacob placed his hands, he blessed Manasseh and Ephraim. Those two, Joseph, those two were the tribe of Judah. Joseph was of the tribe. He made uh, both of them equal shares in the tribes. Today, we really don't know, even the Jewish people don't know, because there's been so much genealogical mix-up, burning of records and files. Nobody knows which tribe they're really from. Now, there's some ultra-right-wing Orthodox people that are working very, very hard to establish that. I hope they do, but they say it's, even for my Jewish friends, say that's going to be impossible. The warning to us is this. Our pride can make us think we're standing strong when actually we're backsliding. Jesus said, warning about the last days for false messiahs, and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen one. And now that you belong to Christ, Galatians 3.29, you are the true children of Abraham. You were heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. With all due respect to my Jewish friends, tonight we are the seed of Abraham. John the Baptist said, Jesus said that God is able to raise up from these stones seeds of Abraham. All those blessings, they, we have them. Now it's important when we say this, the church has not replaced Israel. God still has a plan for Israel, but it will be through Jesus Christ. It will be. Jesus remains the stumbling block to our Jewish friends. And that's why we really need to pray. That's why this church in my hometown is of such fascination to me. And then finally, in this very short chapter, this final symbol I want you to see, the multitude of believers in heaven. God will not fail His people. And that should be believers. I just looked up at the screen. The multitude of believers in heaven, God will not fail His people. And this final song, the persecution of John, the persecution of those early believers is not the end of the story. God never forgets His people. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white and where do they come from? And I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. And then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. As I said earlier, the ceiling will protect their faith. It may not protect them from physical harm, but don't just watch what's happening here. Look at the man behind the screen. Pay attention to the man behind the screen. Pay attention to the Lamb upon the throne. Pay attention to the believers that stand. That word stand, we'll talk about that next Wednesday night. They stand before the throne. 
And they sing. In the last chapter, we saw them going, how long, how long, how long? In this chapter, we see them singing to the Lord and worshiping Him. You and I won't look back upon this earth with any regrets. We will only look at the Lord and we will sing His praises and we will glorify Him. But now this oxymoron I've got to talk about because they've washed their clothes in the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> that's an oxymoron. That's like saying that's a big baby. All babies are little. That's like saying that's a fine mess. I have never seen a mess that was fine. You know, they've washed them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's the last thing you want to happen is to get blood on something. Their victory rests upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. These people have come through the tribulation. And occasionally people ask me, does, why does Christianity have to be so bloody? Why do you have to take the cup? They'll talk about the Catholic Church or they'll talk about us when they come here on a communion Sunday. One time we even considered moving our communion to a Wednesday nights because we didn't want to confuse unbelievers. And the more we thought about it, we thought, what a great witness to people if we continue to take communion on a Sunday morning. Because then I can sit there and tell them the blood of Jesus is referred to three times more often in the New Testament than the cross of Christ. It's referred to five times more often than death. The blood is a biblical word. The blood does not need to be purged from what we believe. The blood of Jesus is what makes us clean. It's the blood of Jesus that washes us. And without that blood, there is no sealing of the Holy Spirit. And when I lay in Oakwood Hospital, day after day receiving unit after unit of blood, I gave thanks for every time Pastor Rick did a blood drive at our church. I gave thanks every time I watched that blood dripping into my arms. And sometimes I, I couldn't take it and they'd have to just stop it for a while and give me a, a night's rest and then start the blood again. Every time I watched every precious drop of blood that somebody freely went and had expressed from their veins and put into a bag so that I could live, it made me not only give thanks for them, but it made me give thanks for Jesus Christ. We are alive because of the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Hallelujah. So our future is with Jesus. You can read Revelation 7:15 later. The triumph is revealed through the cross and not the powerful. We're going to pull all this together next week. Those that are really, look behind the screen. You won't see Stalin behind the screen, but you'll see Mother Teresa behind the screen. The army of God is not made up of the powerful of this world. It's made up of the humble and the servants of God who get out, preach the gospel, and serve one another. And then finally tonight, and it took me going to Africa to really see this. Heaven will be multicultural. Heaven will be multicultural. There are going to be young Christians from the street of Detroit. They're going to be rapping to Jesus around the throne of heaven. I don't like rap, so you've got to understand what that means to me. I read Lecrae's book last year. I am so thankful for Lecrae. I listen to his music and I go, I like your book. But I can't listen to that. Nothing wrong with it. Don't give me nothing wrong with it. But I just had a hard time. You know, give me southern rock and roll any day. 
You know, I can't listen to Southern Gospel country music, uh, but they're going to be Southern Gospel singers. They're going to be those Africans that I worship with that they bow like this back and forth and they're going to worship the Lord. And there's going to be some of us stiff, uptight white folks who are going to be going, we give you praise, Jesus. We give you praise, Jesus. And they're going to put us to shame. I'm telling you, they're going to be rocking and rolling and rapping. And we're going, we give you praise, Jesus. We give you praise. I'm telling you, heaven's going to be a multicultural place. And we're going to see all of this next week. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. And I thank you so much for all you've done for us. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives tonight. And I thank you most of all that behind the screen that God is in control. It's in your name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Good night.